Welcome to the Semper Reformata podcast, spreading the word and contending for the faith. Ephesians 3 and verse 8. Unto me, who am less than the least of all saints, is this grace given, that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, and to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the world hath been hid in God, who created all things by Jesus Christ, to the intent that nigh unto the principalities and powers in heavenly places might be known by the church the manifold wisdom of God. Amen. Last time we met together, we noticed that Paul had been made a minister, a servant of the Lord. It's not a job he'd volunteered for or applied for, not a job that he'd longed for from his school days, didn't think it was something that was uh, a great, uh, an easy way of life where you could live in a comfortable manse with a nice salary and a church car, or maybe if you're a little further afield, a company jet uh, or a, a mansion. None of those things. In fact, we saw the very opposite in terms of the modern perceptions of ministry. Paul's ministry would have been considered a failure when we read how he had suffered during his time as a servant of the churches. A servant of churches to bring the light of the gospel to the Gentiles and to the ruling authorities and to the Jews, as we read in Acts chapter 9 and verse 15. And I want to stay with that theme for a few moments this evening, the theme of Paul's ministry. Because in verse 8 and 9, we learn something more about that ministry. He says here, unto me, who am less than the least of all saints, is this grace given, that I should preach among the Gentiles. And then in verse 9, he says, and to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery. You'll see that there's two aspects to Paul's ministry given there in verse 8 and 9. It's got a twofold strategy, isn't it? A divine strategy, I would suggest. It involves both declaration and preaching of the gospel, and it involves education, making people see. Declaration. Well, in verse 8, Paul talks about how the grace of God was given to him that he should preach. So Paul is, first and foremost, a preacher, preacher of the word, proclaiming the good news. I suppose, to be fair, preaching's not too popular these days. Sure, it's not. Some time ago, I had to take a funeral. It was a few years back, and I was asked to take a funeral service. And the funeral home where the service was to be held had to be closed that day. And so they'd borrowed a neighbouring church, not a church of any denomination that I would have belonged to, but I was invited to take the funeral, and I went along, and I went to this church, and 
I asked the caretaker when I went in. I went a little bit early to prepare myself for the service and to get used to the unfamiliar setting. And I asked the caretaker, just a matter of interest, you know, where exactly is the pulpit? And he said to me, we don't have one. And we took that out years ago. No need for it anymore. Well, what does the minister do when he's preaching? Oh, he doesn't preach. He has this kind of a bar table at the front. And he sits up on a bar stool. And he opens the Bible on the bar stool. And he, he, he leans over the bar table. And he just chats to the congregation. How am I supposed to conduct a funeral service? Leaning over a bar table, sitting on a bar stool, chatting. Not going to be very dignified. So the caretaker said, that's a difficulty right enough. I know what we'll do. We'll borrow a music stand from the praise band. So I ended up taking a funeral service off a music stand. And the only thing I could think of was there mustn't be a great deal of preaching done in that church. Not saying it wasn't sound or anything, but preaching is essential in God's plan of salvation. In 1 Corinthians, we read, For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. But unto us which are saved, it is the power of God. For after that, in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. I don't want to dwell on this too long this evening because I'm quite convinced that everyone here understands and appreciates the value of preaching, authoritative declaration of the word of, of the word of God, not a quiet chat over a barroom table. It is to open the scriptures, it is to read them, it is to declare that they are the word of God, as did the prophets of the Old Testament when they declared, thus saith the Lord. We know that. But there's also this second aspect to Paul's ministry, his servanthood. He says in verse 9, And to make all men see. I think that's important. It's not something that we can simply gloss over. We see this aspect of Paul's ministry being acted out when he was in Ephesus itself, the very place where these recipients of this letter would have been living. They would have known how that went, how he made all men see, how at first he took classes in the local synagogue whenever he went to Ephesus, and then when he was expelled from the local Jewish synagogue for preaching that Jesus the Messiah had come, he borrowed a classroom. He borrowed a place that was called the Lecture Hall of Tyrannus, and he taught there every day. Acts chapter 19 and verse 9. But when divers were hardened and believed not, but spake evil of that way before the multitude, he, Paul, departed from them and separated the disciples, disputing daily in the school of one Tyrannus. And this continued by the space of two years, so that all they which dwelt in Asia heard the word of the Lord Jesus, both Jews and Greeks. He taught And he taught systematically. Paul's not referring here when he talks about making all people see. He's not referring to physical sight. 
He's not showing them pictures or diagrams or giving them slide presentations. The Greek word for see here is the word photizo, from which we simply get our English word photograph, for example. In Greek, it simply means to make clear, to cast light upon, to explain things in such a manner that people will grasp the meaning of what is written and they will understand it. I know that when people are standing at the door shaking hands at the end of a service and somebody goes over to the preacher and says, Brother, that was, that was deep. What they really mean is I didn't understand a word you were talking about. <laughs> and that means you failed. In school, when I was, I could almost remember school, didn't enjoy it very much. When I was at school, we used to do a thing in class called comprehension. Did you do that? Comprehension is when the school teacher would give you a little portion of a book, a paragraph maybe depending on what grade you were at. And the teacher would ask you to read the paragraph, and then you'd be given a little test for to see what you understood from the paragraph. Some questions about what was happening, who said what, who did what, what their reactions were. And as time went on, the questions and the passages would become a little bit more difficult, and it would help you to, to develop an understanding of reading text. Paul wants us and the readers of this epistle in Ephesus to understand something, to take the text and to read it and to understand what's being said. So Paul and us, the modern minister included, has a job to do, to preach the word and to preach the word in such a way that people understand what is actually being said. Now, I like passionate preaching. You know, there's one time after I left the Pentecostal movement, uh, about maybe eight or nine years after that, I was invited to go to preach at a Pentecostal church. I don't know why I accepted, but I thought I would. And I went along. It was way up in the country. And I simply did there the kind of thing that I'm doing here now. Simply stood and talked to the people and read from God's word and pointed things out to them. Did it twice, in the morning and the evening. And when I was going out, one of the Pentecostalists at the meeting stopped and he shook my hand warmly and he says, Brother, that was Holy Ghost-inspired preaching. <laughs> well, I would like to think it was. I would like to think that we have passionate preaching. I think that we in the Reformed tradition, sometimes we tend to let our preaching be more academic and to prove how well read we are instead of getting involved with what God is doing with the people who are around us. I think when we look at the people in the church, we ought to be inspired to preach passionately. Passionate preaching is great. The one thing that we need today, it is red-hot preachers. It is preachers who believe the gospel passionately in their heart. Preachers who are fearless in proclaiming the gospel truth. But you see, heat without light is ineffective. If there's anything like our house, you've got the fire on. When you put the fire out, the heat soon passes. We need the light as well as the heat. We need enlightenment. And what we learn from a sermon often 
affects our lives very greatly and lasts after the passion uh, is no longer there. When Monday morning comes, we're faced with the realities of life. So, let's move on. Paul's task here as a minister called and made to be a minister of the gospel is to preach the word and to do it in such a way that people understand exactly what he is saying and what God is saying through him and through his word. And that makes me ask the question, why do we need that help to see? Why do we need this kind of passionate and yet educational preaching? Maybe somebody had been saying, in Ephesus I'm thinking, Maybe somebody had been saying, well, maybe the reason that these people are, are not seeing is because of the preaching of this man, Paul. Maybe his preaching is far too hard to understand. All of this gospel stuff, you know, it's all so complicated, isn't it? And we're told elsewhere that Paul's a bit of a babbler. They called him that. And he goes on and on and on about ideas and concepts. And he uses big words. It's hard to understand and, and you have to bring things down to the level of the people. Uh, and they say that. And people have always said things like that. But Paul tells us the truth in Second Corinthians. In that passage that we read together. He tells us that the reason that we need to see and to understand what God is saying to us in his word and why we need preachers that can both preach and educate is because the God of this world has blinded them. There is a spiritual blindness. And we saw that in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 4 where we read, If our gospel be hid, It is hid to them that are lost, in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not. Lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. There you have it, you see. Nowadays, some people want to simplify the gospel. They want to make it easier to understand. They want to introduce modern methods of communication. I imagine if I went to a service in that church that didn't have a a pulpit, I'm sure that they would have very many modern ways of communicating with you to replace the preaching, to make up with the lack of preaching. A well-meaning, I'm sure, attempt to communicate with modern mankind. But it won't work. It wouldn't matter if they wrote the gospel in cartoons. They still won't grasp it because the devil, the god of this world, has so distorted the thinking of modern man and so ruined their understanding and kept their minds obsessed with the things of this life and the things of this world. God, Satan is the god of this world. And he has blinded the minds of those who believe not. Let me give you some examples of that. He has blinded their minds by fixating their minds upon the importance of worldly goods, and worldly distractions, and worldly satisfaction. People who are only interested in what this life can give them. 
No desire whatsoever to come to a realization that this world is only temporary, that its comforts and its attractions are soon gone forever. People who are blinded by Satan. And that's why gospel ministry is essentially a spiritual matter. The practices of the evangelist, the preacher, must be spiritual practices. We must be preaching the word. We must be in prayer. We must be teaching in such a way that people understand so that the spiritual blindness of the lost can be broken down. In our lost condition, we're in darkness. Here's another example. Satan has blinded their minds about the reality of death. We imagine the modern man never going to live forever. So we accumulate this world's possessions and we place too much value on them and we forget that we came into this world with nothing and that we shall leave with nothing. And the consumer society and the advertising industry and the news media and the agenda-driven producers of screen and stage dramas are infiltrating our minds and numbing our senses and blinding our eyes to reality that one day we will stand before the God who made us and give account of our lives. I'll give you one more example. Satan has blinded the eyes of those who are lost to the true way to heaven. Somebody once asked me rhetorically, a man who's actually preached in this church in the past, asked me rhetorically one time, how do you get to heaven from Northern Ireland? And I said, go on, tell me, how do you get to heaven from Northern Ireland? And he says, die. That's just about it, you know. Everybody wants to be in heaven. I hear it all the time. People want to be in heaven with their loved ones. They want to be free of pain. They'll tell you, you go into a house where someone has just passed away. And the first thing I'll say to you, well, at least he's out of his pain. No, he's not. He's gone out of this world without Christ. He's not out of his pain. He's in more pain than he ever knew in this life. Oh, you know, he's with his loved ones. His suffering is over. He's looking down on us now with his dear wife. He's having a coffee. He's having a beer or whatever they do in heaven. I hear that all the time. The ungodly world. They've made what Isaiah calls a covenant with death. They don't want to think about it. They don't want to think about the reality. And they don't want to think that you cannot get to heaven without Jesus. They don't want to think about the fact that he said that he is the only way, that it is exclusive, that you simply cannot walk out of this life and walk into God's presence without Christ. So we've seen that Paul is a minister of the gospel, made a minister. And that includes both declaration and education, illuminating people's hearts. And we've seen some examples of why that is needed. Because the devil has blinded the eyes of those who believe not. And lastly, before I finish, I want to assure you that tonight, if you do not know the Saviour, you can have that darkness remedied in your life. 
you and I, sinners, in our natural state, dwelling in darkness. People who have been blinded to the truth of the gospel by Satan himself, the devil who wants to keep us from understanding the gospel and accepting Christ and being assured of a welcome in heaven, we can be brought out of that darkness into God's marvelous light. We find it promised to us in Matthew chapter 4 and verse 16, where it says, The people which sat in darkness saw great light, To them which sat in the region and the shadow of death, light has sprung up. Where does this transforming light come from? It comes from Christ. It comes from the Lord Jesus, who is the light of the world. He said that. He said, I am the light of the world. Him that followeth after me shall not walk in darkness. He was the true light, according to John 1 and verse 9, which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. I want to ask you this evening, have you met the Lord Jesus? Have you experienced his light shining right down into the very darkest corners of your dark heart and bringing divine light and revealing your sin so that you can repent before God and be saved by his grace? In 2 Corinthians 4 and 6, God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness hath shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. God to shock you now. Charles Wesley wrote, Long my imprisoned spirit lay, fast bound in sin and nature's night. Then shone your glorious gospel ray, and I woke in the dungeon flamed with light, and my chains fell off, my heart was free, and I rose and went forth and followed thee. Have you met the light? It comes from Christ. And has he shone that light into the depths of the darkness of your sinful heart and brought you into into God's kingdom? Just before I go, that source of light is Christ. But we are not to be idle, for we must reflect his light into this world, mustn't we? As Christian believers... We must be living in such a way that people see Christ living in us. It's a biblical command, actually. It's given by the Lord Jesus himself in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 14, where he says, Ye are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick, and it giveth light unto all that are in the house. Here's the verse. Let your light so shine before men, that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. And that's not just a command for Paul or for preachers or teachers. It's for all of us. And it affects every single aspect of our lives. We are to live as children of light, says Paul in Ephesians 5 and 8. Ye were sometimes darkness, But now are ye light in the Lord, walk as children 
of light, and that will make a difference in this world. And it will mean that we will have to be different in the way that we talk, in the way that we work, in the way that we socialize, in the way that we support and love others, in the way that we run our affairs, in the way that we run our businesses, and it will affect our honesty and our integrity. Let your light shine before men, not so that they will praise you, but so that they will give glory to your Father who is in heaven. So Christ shines his light into our darkened lives and shows us the way of salvation and brings us into God's eternal light, being born again, shining out as lights to others. Oh, here, look back at verse 9. I almost forgot something. We're to make all men see. But what are are we to make all men see? Paul tells us here, to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the world hath been hid in God, who created all things by Jesus Christ. They are to see what Paul calls the fellowship of the mystery, the outworking of this mystery, this plan of God. Remember that we learned earlier that God has given Paul this special revelation that he has received from God about how God has this eternal plan. A plan that has been established from before the foundation of the world. A plan to bring all things together in Christ so that one day the whole universe will look upon God's redeemed people and give glory to him. We see it in Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 10. That in the dispensation of the fullness of times he might gather together in one all things in Christ both which are in heaven and which are on earth, even in him. Ephesians 3 and verse 9, it comes back again. And to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the world hath been hid in God, who created all things by Christ Jesus, to the intent that now unto the principalities and powers in heavenly places might be known by the church, the manifold wisdom of God. We see God's wisdom in his plan of salvation being worked out in his church and in your life. That's why God created the world, so that you might be rescued from your sin and brought into his kingdom. And at the end of this age, be part of that glorious, redeemed throng of people gathered around his throne for God's glory alone. Amen. Thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed this episode of the podcast, please help to make it better known by opening the podcast app on your phone or mobile device. Then, search for The Semper Reformata Podcast. Subscribe and give it a 5-star rating. See you next time.